Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. I am your host, Al D, and the author of MBA Insider. This podcast is for career-driven professionals looking for advice on how to grow their careers by leveraging the skills, experiences, and knowledge gained from an MBA degree. In each episode, I'll give you a look into the business school experience, along with practical tips, career advice, and real-life stories to help professionals grow their careers. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. My name is Al D. I'm the host of the MBA Insider Podcast and the founder of MBAschool.com. Today, I'm excited uh, because we're going to switch things up. I actually have with me a former podcast guest, Aaron Schultz, who is the founder of Her Personal Finance and was a guest on the show not too long ago. But I brought Aaron back today. Actually, I should say Aaron volunteered herself to come back today, which I'm very grateful for, to flip the script. Today, I'm going to be the guest on the show. And Aaron is going to interview me. I think this is going to be a really fun conversation, selfishly, at least for me, to share a little bit more about myself and also what I'm up to with MBA School and the MBA Insider Podcast. And I'm really grateful that Aaron's here that, and she is a wonderful MC and host. And so we're going to let her uh, take over really quickly. Aaron, thank you so much for joining. Maybe give a little bit of your background again, and then I will let you run with it. Thank you, Al. So excited to be here today. So I'm a 2015 MBA um, from Harvard Business School, and I have founded a business called Her Personal Finance, which I'll mention, which is a financial education platform. My goal is to demystify personal finance and fill in some of those gaps from the MBA program where you learn all about a corporate balance sheet, but not how to manage your own finances. And I think what Al is doing is really awesome, especially it's fun to meet other MBAs who've chosen to take the entrepreneurship path, especially not going the VC backed route and really wanted to learn more about Al's story. So I'm assuming if you're hearing a little bit about Al's background, but he's the founder of MBA Schooled, a graduate from the University of North Carolina. He also has written a book, MBA Insider, how to make the most of your MBA experience. And in addition to working at Deloitte and Salesforce, he has built this really great business with MBA School and sort of decided to leave his job and create an organization whose mission is to provide prospective MBA students, current MBA students, and alums with stories, best practices, and expert advice. So Al, just so excited to be able to learn a little bit more about your story today. And to warm things up, I know you always start your guests off by kind of asking them about a recent book or article that they've read that they thought was interesting and excited to get to ask that question to you. Thank you, Erin. And thank you for such a great introduction. So the book that I'm going to talk about that I just finished is called The Mom Test. It is a really great book about customer discovery and something that I think a lot of product managers and other people who work in kind of the product development space, whether that's hardware, software, services, have really uh, picked up on. It was done in an independent fashion, but has really skyrocketed. I think between the demand for it is also just the challenges with the shortage of, of paper right now. I actually think that the price on Amazon is pretty absurd because there is just such a short supply of it, but I bought it on Kindle. But uh, the basic, the premise of the book is a lot of the ways in which we traditionally do uh, market re traditional market research and product development and insight gathering is flawed and 
a lot of that is just because we as humans have biases and sometimes uh, let that creep into how we go and ask people about how we gather insights for the products we build. And so I, I read the mom test because I am thinking a lot about uh, customer discovery and product development and things like that. And it was a book that was recommended to me, but also in a lot of, and maybe we can talk about this later, but in a lot of the entrepreneurial circles that I've been trying to grow in lately and talk to people in, it was something that was recommended to me by a lot of them as well. And so it's called the mom test. We can put it in the show notes, but if you're a product manager or someone who's touching customer development, or you're just curious about how do you build an own, your own business yourself with a product of some sort, it is a must read. Thank you for sharing that. And I, I have to ask, because from the very beginning, when you said the name of the book, I thought you were going to go in a very different direction in terms of what it was about. So maybe can you shed a little bit more light where that title comes from? Yeah. So from my understanding, having listened to the author of it from a couple other you know podcasts, it, it goes back to this notion of if you were to ask if you had an idea for a business, you might go to your parent or like your mom and say, hey, mom, what do you think of if I do this or if I do that? And at the end of the day, no matter what you say, your mom is probably going to, because she's your mom, is probably going to agree that whatever you're doing is probably like a good thing. And But the whole notion of it is just this idea that to, in order to actually get something insightful from whether it's your mom or anything else, there is a way and approach to making sure you're asking the right questions uh, and doing so in a way that's going to yield insights that are usable. Um, just simply asking your mom, hey, should I launch this product? Or hey, should I build this app? Of course, she's going to say, yeah, you should. It'll be really great. But that really isn't that helpful. And, and this idea of the mom test really stems back to this notion that if we want to actually get something meaningful, insightful about the questions that we asked, we have to be thoughtful in the ways in which we go and actually ask it. That's really helpful and makes a lot of sense that sometimes confirmation bias is real and yes. that yes. if the people we're asking feel like we want them to say yes, we're not always going to get the answers we want. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, for sure. Sure. I'm glad you brought that up because I'm sure you probably had to think about this too from your own background in terms of you know, building your own business and, and in terms of trying to figure out how to, because you've also built you know products and, and whatnot, but yeah, it's a, I think that's, and that's honestly a great kind of lesson in from the book whether, and I don't think it was always intended to be this way, but in a perfect world, humans would be free of bias and error, but we don't live in a perfect world. So it's all there. And I'm sure that also trying to bring it full circle here, that also often creeps, I'm sure, into the work that in terms of things like pay equity and, and the like. So anywho. Yes. And I want to get started and ask about your background, but I will share just one relevant example from my experience as an entrepreneur that before I launched my first class, I had done an event with, at my alma mater and I was speaking with the Women's Student Association at Harvard and talked to probably 10 women afterwards who said they were interested in taking a personal finance class and asked them a bunch of questions about what the content should be, what they would be willing to pay, et cetera, et cetera. And while I did basically sell out that first cohort, I don't think a single person who would, had been willing to give me insights and perspectives into what they wanted, how many weeks, what the price was, ended up taking the class. And I feel like there's a connection there that maybe, and, and I think they helped me build a really great product, but potentially they were telling me at, at some points things they thought I wanted to hear. Yes, no, that's 100% in the book talks exactly about that notion 
And certainly that's, it's definitely something we can talk about later on just in terms of the journeys of entrepreneurship. But yeah, it's that I think you're hundred percent spot on and yeah, it's really important to be thoughtful about how you ask for insights and feedback that can be useful. Thanks for sharing that. And maybe that's a good segue as you hint at your entrepreneurial journey to give us just a quick rundown of your background and what brought you here today. Sure. So I think since I was little, but since I can remember, I think the things that have always really been a big portion of my life are, I think the three things are, number one, I love being able uh, to learn, particularly with other people. And the second thing is that I love being able to build um, relationships and to bring people together. And then I think the last thing is that I've always enjoyed being a ambassador or evangelist or just connector, if you will, as someone who could uh, represent uh, a team, a company, an organization, whatever, and attract other people around them. And so those are the three kind of themes that have just always been present in my life, whether it was growing up and playing basketball, being a team sport, but also for those of you who play basketball, I was, I was the point guard. And part of that was because I was the shortest person on the court and it was really the only position I could play. But for those who follow basketball, that the point guard is the one who is usually calling the plays, is talking with the coach about the strategies and to set is trying to encourage and, and, and motivate some of the other the players that are on the floor. And that's the role that I've always played, whether it was growing up in team sports, whether it was being student body president when I was in, in college or in high school, or whether it was in my professional career at Deloitte and Salesforce in terms of the work that I did to coach and develop other people or mentor other people or bring people together to share knowledge. And tactically, what that looked like is I was a marketing theology major at Boston College in my undergrad days. I started my career at Deloitte Consulting as a management consultant, working at kind of the intersection of technology and organizational change. Went and got my MBA at UNC Kingdom Flagler, and then spent the last four or five, four, after UNC and after going back to Deloitte, spent the last four years working at Salesforce in, in tech product marketing. Things, those three themes of uh, wanting to learn, uh, wanting to build relationships, and wanting to be an evangelist and ambassador have always rung true. During my time at UNC, one of the things that I realized having gone through the, my first year was that when I talked to other people about their MBA experience, there were a lot of common themes about experiencing the MBA and, and really thinking about it as a means for career development and growth. On the other side, I would talk to friends who were interested in MBA and they would ask me a lot of the same questions over and over again. I'm sure you've probably gotten this as well as people have talked to you about the MBA and asking you what it's like. And so combining my love for sharing knowledge and bringing people together and so being an ambassador of things, that's when I started MBA Schooled. And really at the time when I started it during my second year of business school, it really was meant to be a place where MBA students could share knowledge about what the MBA was like and how they were using an MBA to achieve their career goals. And it was a place for prospective students who were curious about what an MBA was or wanted to know what it was like to attend business school or wanted to know more about how an MBA could advance their career, could come and, and, and learn about it on the blog. And so I started that back in about 2014, 2015, and it certainly has evolved a little bit you know, over the time and been fortunate to talk with hundreds, if not thousands of people about their MBA experience and really learning and understanding how it helps them achieve their career goal. And then fast forward to today, in addition to certainly having the blog, which is still in existence, in addition to having, as you, you mentioned, my book, MBA Insider, and this podcast, over the years, I've started to do a lot of coaching, training, speaking, leadership development, both for aspiring MBAs, current MBAs, as well as MBA alum. 
But at the end of the day, I think what it all really comes back to is how do we share information, bring people together so that they can be their best self and build uh, meaningful and impactful careers. Well, thank you for sharing your story. And I, you, you sparked a bunch of questions for me. One of them is, I'm curious, going back to when you first had all these prospective MBA students talking to you, what were some of those FAQs? You were like, okay, if someone else asked me this, I got to put it up on a website so that I can put all the, the best resources in one place. Yeah, great question. So it's probably some of the common ones. And I, I assume, again, that you've probably gotten some of these before. So I think number one is what do you actually do in business? And that and, and then so that's like a common one. But I think the other one is really a geared. Another one would be just what how does an MBA help you actually achieve your career goals? The other one is just around what is the ROI or, or how do you think about the ROI of the degree? And obviously that one kind of comes stems from the fact of it's a, it is a pretty big investment for all, anyone who wants to go through it. And there's questions around that. And there's certainly a lot of questions of tactically speaking, how does one move from industry X to industry Y through an MBA? What are those things that they do in that time that enables or empowers them to go from being a teacher to a product manager or from A to A to B or, or whatever it is. And then certainly a little bit of just around what's it like to go to school X or school Y or, or what have you. So the, those are, I think those are traditionally the common ones. And certainly there would be people who wanted to know, should I take the GMAT versus the GRE or what is the right GMAT score for this or that? I tended to focus a little bit less on that only because I think that those things are well documented in other places. But the other thing I really wanted to lean into, and I've really tried to lean into is that I really have always viewed MBA school as a place where people have the ability, um, not only to share knowledge, but to share their own story. It was really important for me that I would, in anything I do, I always want to bring people along on the journey with me. And one of the ways that I have tried to do that very intentionally with MBA school is making it a platform for people to share knowledge, ideas, and their story. Um, stories are the thing that connect us together and that often can inspire people. And, and I think in particular, I've always thought this way, but even more so today, more than ever, the importance of providing enough diverse stories so that someone who comes to the site, regardless of who they are, can find someone to latch onto and say, oh, that really resonates with me. I can tell this podcast that you've cultivated a really rich, and diverse list of people I was looking through as I was preparing for today and was really impressed with just how many different people at different stages in their MBA journey who want to do different things with their MBAs you've had on the podcast. So I agree. The stories where it gets really personal, that's where it gets real. It's a lot harder to try to answer that question. What is it really like if you're just reading like a class profile or statistics? Yeah. And, I, and on that, I would be curious not to derail you here, but as you were building her personal finance, were there any stories you found of people out there, if they're MBA alum, but they don't necessarily have to be, who really inspired you or that you looked up to, to be like, oh, that could, that person is doing something exciting or amazing. It would be great to, to maybe learn from them or they're really inspiring me. One thing, two examples. So Cheryl Samberg is a HBS alum. I think she's come under attack or, or, or has been criticized for good reason. But one of the things that she wrote in LinkedIn that really, not in LinkedIn, and Lean In, that really stuck with me was that a lot of the women in my HBS class will drop out of the workforce 
and you've invested $200,000 in your degree, you obviously did something to where you were able to matriculate at HBS. And so I think just thinking about and being inspired by other female founders and Rent the Runway, Stitch Fix, those are all sort of other entrepreneurs that came out of the program. But I think one thing that did bother me, and I've thought about this with my branding of focusing on women, but most of the female-led startups do tend to be in beauty or fashion. There aren't as many sort of B2B or consumer products that are more mass and aren't as gendered. And as I was thinking about creating something, I wanted to build a business and add to that, but also was excited to do something that's maybe less pink, even though I do focus on women. I teach a lot of men as well. And finance is a space that is traditionally pretty male. Totally. I think that makes a ton of sense. And I, it resonates a little bit in the sense. So my sister, who is an MBA alum, uh, she's a, a VP at an investment bank. And in addition to that, she covers the metal and mining industry. Wow. So talk about traditional places that are not necessarily dominated by, by, by women. So I, I, that, I think that's dual in, in, uh, in a lot of ways. I appreciate you sharing that. And it sounds like your sister is a force to be reckoned with. Um, she is. She definitely is. Let's keep going because I really want to hear more about in the schooled. What is it? Why you decided to start it? One question that came up with for me before was even back in 2014 when you're first doing this, did you ever think this could be something you would do full time? Or was this, oh, this is just like a blog on the side? Yeah. So at the time... It was really a blog on the side. And part of it was my second year of business school. I knew I was going back to Deloitte. I was involved and I had class. And but quite frankly, like I was playing a lot of golf. I had a lot of free time. <laughs> and I've always been someone who has enjoyed writing, whether it's just for myself or externally. And I had made some prior attempts to write blogs. It's funny, I actually found uh, a couple of weeks ago, the, one of the first blogs that I ever, it is hilarious in terms of my writing. And I definitely don't claim to be an expert writer at this point, but I can definitely say I'm a lot better now than I was 10 or 11 years ago. And, and so at first it was really just, let's just build something because this would be fun to do. And I think this could be really useful and really valuable. I didn't necessarily, in some respects, I didn't necessarily, you know, think it was going to be what it is now. But what I did think at the time was that I have always really thought, whether I realized it or not, that you can get a lot of engagement and meaning and fulfillment out of your day job. But what really matters are the things that you do in your day job. And those don't necessarily have to be restricted to what you do every day. And if I look back at all the jobs that I've had in my life, I have always enjoyed um, sharing knowledge and sharing ideas and telling stories and, and the like. And I think as even as I re-entered the workforce and after graduating and kept up with it on the side, it was an outlet for me to continue doing things that I was enjoying. And that's really what it was. I do think at some point I realized, okay, this could be more than just a hobby if, if I wanted it to be, but I never put any pressure on myself to make it that way. And part of that was also just because 
when you're working a full-time job, particularly in consult at the time in consulting, you, you only have so many hours in a day outside of work to really devote to these things. I don't necessarily think I knew at the time it was going to go the direction that it went in, but I do think there were mile markers and guideposts along the way that over time made me realize it could be more than just a nice hobby to have on the side. And I think one of the things that I really have always tried to be mindful of in my life is feedback, right? And different pulse points where someone's giving you feedback that's important to listen to so that uh, it can inform how you make decisions or make choices. And for me, the first kind of pulse point or feedback point came when school started reaching out to me to say, hey, can you come to campus to do a workshop for us? And that was like, okay, we're on to something here. And then once I went to one or two schools who asked me, I said, hey, if one or two schools are asking me, I wonder if other schools might be interested. And so the next kind of pulse point was when I went from just strictly just taking requests to actually proactively going out and going and reaching out to a couple of schools to say, hey, would you be interested in having me come in to do a career development workshop for your first year MBA students to help them prepare for their summer internships? And a bunch of people said no, but a couple said yes. And then that again was another pulse point for me to understand, okay, this is really turning into something. Another pulse point was I hit 250 blog posts at one point, and I posted something about it, and I got a lot of really positive feedback. And someone had said, hey, have you ever thought about writing a book? And I was like, yeah. But again, like another pulse point, and eventually that was one of the things that led me to think about maybe I should go and write one. And then certainly eventually multiple pulse points, which led me to the direction of eventually leaving my full-time job to, to work on this and other things. I don't think I ever predict, I, I definitely could not have predicted the journey back to get back to your original question when I started this. But I did, I think, know that if I just spent, figured out some things that I really enjoyed doing and spent time honing my craft on them and enjoying it, that something positive could come from it if I just paid enough attention. Thank you for sharing that. And I think it's a good example, too, of how it, it doesn't sound like the monetization was as important to you in the beginning. It was really about creating, enjoying it and creating something that was going to add value to students. And then that also had the positive word of mouth where school started to hear about you and ask you to come instead of you being in this position where you had to sell all the time. Does that feel right? It does. And I think to the point you made, it is really about the crafts. And so it's two things. It's, I think it's about the craft. So finding something where you truly care about the craft and putting in time to work on it, whether it's hard or easy or enjoyable or not enjoyable, right? Because I think anything worthwhile and meaningful in life is, is going to have moments where it doesn't go your way or that maybe are not fun. But if you can still learn and enjoy those things through the good and the bad, I think it's something that's worthwhile. And I think this was definitely something that I could see as being worthwhile. And I also think in many ways, having the ability to not care about revenue or, or turning it into something was incredibly freeing because it allowed me to take shots and to take chances knowing that the risk was very low. If I reached out to someone and they didn't want to, you know, contribute to the blog, okay, it's a bummer. My, my livelihood doesn't depend on it. So that's okay. If I reach out to school and they don't respond or they don't want, they're not interested, okay, that's okay. And, and in many ways is just a perfect example that there's a school that I work with. It took me two and a half years to build a relationship with them to the point where they could trust me 
to come on and, and start working with them. And I've been working with them now for, you know, a year and it's been great. But because of the fact that I didn't have the constraint of this, a live or die revenue generating business, it, it allowed me to play the long game. And also it'll also allow me to learn so much when it's not, not to say that I couldn't have learned that going on this full time. I still think I could have, but having something like this on the side while you have a, a great job is it was just a really great outlet for me to learn. And then finally, just to meet other really great people. And I think if anything that I'll take, if there, there's, there's a quantifiable value in terms of dollars, what this has gotten me before it ended up being a full-time thing. Something less quantifiable, but super valuable has been being able to meet people like yourself, like the many others who are also in this space or working on things that are super interesting and just getting to know them and getting to build relationships with them. Yeah. It's hard to, it's hard to build. It's hard to really quantify that, but yeah, it's, I, I think that's how I look. Thank you for sharing all that. And I think as someone who also started the business on the side while working full-time, I totally agree that it creates a lot less pressure. And I'm curious, obviously you're on campus, you're talking to students all the time. I have a sense that entrepreneurship is increasingly a reason people go to MBA programs. I don't know if 10 years ago that was as much the case. And I'm curious, you'd have a lot of resources for people who want to pursue product management or management consulting. If someone's trying to decide, is entrepreneurship or me, how would you advise them to think about it and taking the, the path of self-funding versus trying to get outside money as well? Yeah. It's a good, it's a good question. And I think I'll speak for myself and then I'll also let you share your own perspective. I come from a house, a household of entrepreneurs. So I think that, and I'll, I think even outside of that though, I think I've always had a penchant for it in my genes. And so I think I, I, I want to qualify this by, by, by saying that. And the other thing I would say is that for me, there's a per, certain amount of privilege that comes with being able to do this because of the fact that. I worked at two really great companies for quite some time and had an MBA, so I could go and pursue, you know, this dream. So I think there's a couple things to keep in mind. I think part of it is just number one, what is your ultimate goal? And you always, that's the thing you always start with anything. And I think there's, everyone has their own reasons for why they do things, but I think it, it ultimately needs to be an intentional effort to work towards something that is meaningful or important to you. And there's a lot of different reasons why I think it, it, it per, pursuing entrepreneurship is, is a really great thing. It could be because the thing you want to do doesn't exist in the corporate world, or it could be because you really want to own and build and create, or it could be because you want to be able to have control of your time. There's lots of good reasons to do it. I think the important thing is to figuring out what those are for you. So I think that's like the first thing in the place that I would start. I think the other thing would be just to really think about what do you want your day to day be like? So like the first question really is more about the, the long-term or overarching vision. The second question is more about the tactical question of what is a good day going to look like for you? And the cool thing about entrepreneurship is really about the fact that you do have some agency or choice around how you structure your day and what you choose to do. And certainly who, what clients you, you choose to serve or customers you choose to go after, et cetera. But that can also be challenging in some respects because it, it does take some time to think about and define for yourself. The nice thing, having worked in corporate for a long time is you have a sense of, generally speaking, what you need to do at any given time. 
because if you're not doing it, someone's going to tell you, hey, <laughs> what are you doing? But with entrepreneurship, it, it's not always as clear, which is also what's you know really powerful and beneficial about it because you do have that agency and choice. And so thinking about how do you want to spend your day? What customers do you want to serve? What types of things do you want to work on? What really energizes you? Fully knowing like with any job, there's always going to be some things you have to, you just have to do. But I do think that day-to-day -day is really important. And then to the question about self-funding or other types of things. So for me, at least, part of the reason why I have chosen this path and why I wanted to do this is because I very much figured out the life that I want to live and what a good life really looks like. And for me, entrepreneurship and just this vehicle is a vehicle for me to best achieve that. There are other ways I could, but this is the best one. And I think for me, it ultimately comes back to two things. One, agency and autonomy over my time. And just realizing that it was a lot easier to have that in this world than in the traditional kind of big company corporate world that I've been used to. The second thing is the ability to create and to build something that was my own and to reap both the benefits of that and to manage the challenges that come with that. And so I, I, that was my choice for doing it. There's a lot of great reasons why, or there's a lot of good reasons why venture or funding other sources of funding make sense for the type of business that you're in. But for the type of business that I wanted to run based off of the life that was important to me, going my own way and self-funding was wouldn't made sense for me, but everyone's different. So I don't know what, it, what did you think about? for you in terms of making the choice to go, you know, this route for yourself? I had spent three years before doing this working in a venture-backed company. And it was interesting because I think we'd had some times during that and COVID definitely accelerated or, or impacted us. But when you're not making your numbers, it can start to get really uncomfortable where your, fun your funders are very much asking questions and you're spending a lot of time creating resources for them to give them a sense of what your plan is and where you're going. And I think like you, I really wanted a lot of autonomy over the strategic direction of the company, but also over my time. And I think because of my experience working for a venture-backed company, and I know that not all venture is the same, and it looks really different if you're crushing it in your first two years than if you're maybe struggling a little bit more. But it just felt really clear that for me to get what I wanted and to, to grow this in the way that I felt really good about that having as few bosses as possible <laughs> was going to be the right way. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I also, I think what you're also speaking to, particularly in the realm of the venture back type businesses is that making sure you understand incentive alignment is really important. And you can, rightfully or wrongfully, that's the nature of VC, right? Like they, they really want to grow. They really want to grow fast. And so as a result of that, if you're not, there's going to be decisions and actions that come down in order to get to what they are trying to optimize for. And if that's what you're trying to do, then that could work. But similar to you, I, I had a, an idea of what I wanted and the easiest way to get what I wanted was to have a little bit more con control over it. And I think, honestly, for me, part of this kind of stems from just realizing that the path that I was going down in the corporate life just led to this kind of always striving for, for more, right? More money, more titles, more scope, more responsibility, more bigger of an org, et cetera. And I just one day just had the realization of just asking myself, what if you don't want, what if you just are fine with, with what you have? And that was like a, a light bulb moment for me to realize, okay, there is a way to actually work and operate in that way. 
And one of the ways you can do that is through entrepreneurship and, and having that aha and being able to then reflect more about it, talk to more people who went the entrepreneurship route. It, that was what made me the, gave me a little bit more confidence to go and do this. And it was certainly having an understanding of my priorities and, and, and what I wanted, but also just being able to then learn a little bit more about the, because I think a lot of times there is a misconception of, oh, particularly because I worked in tech. Oh, if you're going to go the entrepreneurship path, it needs to be growth at all costs, VC backed or et cetera. And I've figured out a way to, to take a little bit of a different route that works for me, but everyone's different. And it's just important to, to work, work, work with intention and, and an intention that, that makes sense for you. That resonates a lot with me. I feel like we have a lot in common. I also come from a family of entrepreneurs. So I think we were thinking about a lot of things in, in similar ways. And I know we're coming to the end of our time. So maybe two last questions, one of which I just love for you to share. What's the thing you're most proud of? You've been doing this for seven years. What in that time is the thing that you plant your flag on? I think philosophically, the answer to that question, I think is that I have found ways to bring people along on the journey with me. I, I mentioned this earlier, but that's just something I've always been, uh, has been ingrained in me from the very beginning of my life and something that is really important. And what I mean by that is that we live in a world that is bigger than ourselves. And, and we very rarely do things just for the sake of doing them for ourselves. We do them because we live in a bigger world than just us. And at every step along the way of MBA school and my journey in entrepreneurship, it hasn't just been just me. It's been a group of people who have either supported me, who I've either brought along with me, who I've tried to help and amplify their work. But I think it's really powerful and really meaningful to me that I can make an impact in this world and to do things outside of just trying to do them for my own self. And so I think philosophically, that is something that is really meaningful and powerful to me. I think more tactically, you know, being able to write a book is really, is something I'm proud of. And, you know, particularly someone who like, I, I was okay in English class growing up. I'm sure my mid high school English teachers would be appalled at some of my grammar that still exists. So it is what it is, but certainly that was a big, that was a big accomplishment. But I think other than that, just, I am proud of the fact that hell or high water, good day or bad day, I've consistently showed up and put in the work towards something for the good portion of the past seven years. And I'm not done yet. There's still plenty more things I need to do in order to get where I think I need to go. But the fact of the matter is that I've done it and I've been, been through it, through the highs and lows. And, and I have for myself, tangible outcomes to show for it and externally for that matter, tangible outcomes to show for it. And so to be able to do something for this long, this repeatedly, and to still have fun along the way, meet great people, that's super exciting and super valuable to me. So I feel pretty proud of that too. I think you should feel very proud of that. We're wrapping up for today. People maybe know where to find you, but what do you want to leave people with? How can they work with you? Where can they reach out to you? And thanks so much for sharing your story. Thank you. And thank you for playing host today. You did a wonderful job. We'll definitely have to have you back. The best place that people can go is they can go to mbaschool.com uh, where they can check out the podcast. You can also download the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I always have to say that. But it's been a, it's been a pleasure chatting with you and thank you for being a, not only a great guest, but also a great host.
Thanks, Al. It was, it was a lot of fun. And I learned a lot from getting to hear about how you started this business. Hi, everyone. Al D here. And thank you so much for listening to the MBA Insider Podcast. If you liked what you heard, make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and to write a review. It will only take 15 seconds. I'd also love to hear what you've been listening to on the podcast and any suggestions you have for how we can improve. Find me on LinkedIn or head over to mbaschooled.com backslash podcast.